0: But the truth is that all investing is impact investing. The impact may be positive or the impact may be negative, but how we invest, purchase goods, consume goods, drive, vote, all have an impact. I am an entrepreneur.
1: Be inspired. We are incredibly powerful. Colour outside the line. Open your mind. Dream big. Be bold. Take action. The narrative needs to change. We can fix this. We can change this. I know we can. Think broad. Think like a broad. Think broad. I'm Kelly Hoey, host of Broad Mike. I speak with the most accomplished entrepreneurs, investors, and thought leaders about the issues that matter in building a business you will get the inspiration as well as the picks and shovels you need to become a better entrepreneur. Today I have Fran Siegel in the studio. Fran is Chief Investment Officer and Managing Director at Impact Assets, a nonprofit investment firm seeking to increase the flow of capital to impact investing. She leads the investment team at Impact Assets, oversees product development and manages the investment strategy's suite of products. Fran is also an adjunct professor at the Lloyd Greif Center for Entrepreneurial Studies and senior fellow at the Brittingham Social Enterprise Lab, both at USC's Marshall School of Business. Today, we'll be talking about impact investing, what it is, and the drivers behind this growing market. Welcome, Fran. Happy to be here, Kelly. Thank you. So before we jump into impact investing, I want to dial back a little bit and ask you about a year-long field study on women's entrepreneurs' access to venture capital that you did when you were studying at Harvard Business School in 1997-1998. So, tell us about your findings and what's your thoughts on how the situation has evolved since then?
0: Sure. In 1998, when when I was studying for my MBA, uh, the Small Business Administration reported that just 2.5% of venture-backed firms were women-owned business and uh, 15 years later, in 2013, the Diana Report at Babson College found that only 3% of companies receiving venture capital had female CEOs. And I'm, I'm really disappointed that the situation hasn't changed in 15, 16 years. And I was wondering then and, and now why women entrepreneurs' access to venture capital is so impeded. And a couple of my findings or I would say most of my findings still hold true today we've found i found that limited there was limited el- eligibility for women entrepreneurs um, meaning eligibility for the venture capital investment type. the majority of women owned businesses are small sole proprietorships and are mostly service or retail based um, many women go into entrepreneurship uh to take more control of of their lives and Uh, Some of them seek independence, flexibility, work-life balance, and so that positions them as maybe a strong lifestyle business but not a high-growth business that would be commensurate with venture capital. There's also limited access for women. The rules of the game of venture capital are very opaque. There is a machismo of deal flow. It's all about who you know, and most of those networks are, are, are male in nature and hard to break into. Um, And we know that venture firms with female partners are three times more likely to invest in companies led by women CEOs. But from 1999 to 2014, roughly the period of when I did the original research to today, the percentage of women partners in VC firms has dropped from 10% to 6%. So there are a number of challenges that women face. Um, and I think we're starting to see some movement finally um, with some headline news and, uh, and, and other types of things, the Ellen Powell, um, Kleiner Perkins suit, and, and a, a greater interest among the media about the situation and how to rectify the situation. So uh, I, I hope to see some movement f- uh, to the positive for women entrepreneurs in the coming years.
1: Sort of one of those things, we don't want to have this conversation in another 15 years. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, here, we solve this one. Uh, so let's um, let's just talk about you for a second. What was a pivotal moment in your background that moved you in the direction of impact investing um, and, you know, the area that you're working in now?
0: In the early 1990s, I started my career in philanthropy, I was a program officer at a family foundation in Los Angeles, so I was helping this family give away uh, uh, capital to nonprofit institutions. And I think we were doing some pretty innovative grant-making at the time using our grant capital. So we would pay out 5% of our endowment a year in order to maintain our foundation status. But over time, Kelly, I started wondering what the other 95% was doing, how is the endowment invested, and was it invested consistently with the foundation's mission or unconsciously across purposes to it? So I, that's what led me to apply to business school, and so I went to business school at Harvard to figure out how to use the financial capital markets and for-profit business models to make an impact, and that was really my pivotal moment that uh, shifted my career toward finance for good.
1: I would say, originally, were you thinking purely philanthropy?
0: Yeah, the, the first part of my career, I was thinking mostly philanthropy and how, how to leverage those grant dollars in the most strategic way. But I realized that if the endowment unconsciously was invested across purposes to the mission of the foundation, we probably were doing net negative mission impact. <laughs> and that seemed curious to me. <laughs> sort of, you know, walking in circles. Um, so, Impact
1: investing. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who, you know, you hear the word, the you know, the, the words, the jargon's thrown out there. What, in your mind, is impact investing?
0: Impact investing is investing for social and environmental impact, as well as financial returns. Actually... Religious investors, the Quakers and the Methodists, back in the 18th and 19th centuries, pioneered the idea of impact investing. And they were really driven by the desire to invest their funds consistently with their religious values. And recently, Kelly, even the Pope is starting to talk about impact investing. So faith-based investors have been in the mix of impact investing for a very long time. But the truth is that all investing is impact investing. And that's a a recent quote from Clara Miller, who's the CEO of uh, the Heron Foundation. So all investing is impact investing. The the impact may be positive or the impact may be negative. But how we invest, purchase goods, consume goods, drive, vote, all have an impact. Currently, there's about $6.5 trillion invested with impact in the United States, Um, across asset classes, uh, which I'll talk a little bit more um, about in a moment, that's a 76% increase from 2012. Most of this money is in the public markets, the public stock and bond markets, invested with negative screens, such as those that screen out alcohol, tobacco, firearms. So you're screening out a universe. But increasingly in the public markets, uh, the... The capital is invested with positive screens, so investing in companies that uh, have progressive environmental, social and governance practices. Uh, and uh, we are seeing now, uh, in a very anal- a number of, of, of studies that I can talk about later, um, we see that progressive environmental, social and governance practices correlate strongly with financial returns and also risk mitigation. Um, there 's about sixty to one hundred billion dollars worldwide today in what we call deep impact investing in private companies where the central focus of the company is the mission and investment themes here might include jobs creation, financial inclusion, sustainable agriculture, and water. Uh, I can offer some a, a couple of uh, examples later and uh, yeah that 's the the, the the de- the definition of of impact investing. <laughs> well, and, and I, you know, and I
1: truly love the fact that you said you know everything, like all investing, you know, is impact investing. You know, positive or negative, negative. and I think that's one of those things that particularly listeners of the podcast who are women need to think about by your choice um, in how you spend, um, you know, you know which bank you use, you know, all of those things. You're 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 having an impact, and whether it is ultimately the impact that you want to have um, in terms of what other things you, you do and you care about. what In terms of right now, what do you think is fueling this growth in impact investing?
0: Sure. I think about the, the growth of impact investing coming at the intersection of uh, the demand side, meaning demand for impact capital, and the supply side, meaning the investment side, the investor side. So on the demand side, there are, are a number of social and environmental demographic driving forces that are creating the opportunity to create financial returns and the imperative for, to, to, uh, to create impact. One is simply global population. There are 7.4 billion people on the planet. Eighty percent of them live on less than $10 a day, which is a little inconceivable uh, to, to, to consider. Global population will grow to about 9 billion by 2050, and most of this population growth will occur in emerging markets. We'll need to increase food supply by over 70% to meet this demand to ensure food security. And there are other social driving forces, including lack of access to uh, good jobs, the right jobs at the right wages, uh, access to health care, strong education, and housing. On the environmental side, the driving forces are many as well, including climate change, dwindling natural resources and biodiversity, uh, drought, and access to clean water. So there is an increasing uh, need for impact capital to contribute to solving some of these social and environmental challenges. On the supply side, on the investor side, uh, we have an increasing mistrust of the capital markets in the wake of financial crisis and dissatisfaction with the short-term focus of Wall Street or also called short-termism, so the slavish devotion to quarterly returns. There's also an increasing impatience with traditional models of philanthropy like the one I, I, I talked about in, in my opening remarks where we are putting 5% for impact in grants, but the corpus or the endowment is not invested with consistently with the values. But there's also an increasing understanding that government aid and grant capital alone are not enough to move the dial on the pressing social and environmental issues of our time. And then finally, you mentioned women investors and your listeners a moment ago. Um, there is a $40 trillion wealth transfer that is going to occur over the next 30 years. 80% of that money will go to women um, as, the, as, as the, their husbands pass, and then ultimately to millennials. This is a, an enormous wealth transfer that's coming. And we know that women and millennials um, are cohorts that um, 75% of both are interested in investing consistently with their values. So we see this as a huge sea change in investor demand um, and, and a coming uh, sea change as well in or asset attrition uh, for wealth advisors who don't get on board with what these folks uh, are interested in. So there's been a tremendous um, increase in in interest in impact investing, driven by this intersection of the growing supply of impact capital among investors and increasing demand for impact capital.
1: I'm I'm so glad you brought up the point about the wealth transfer um, because it's it's. A topic that I often raise uh, when I'm speaking and I talk to people about it and the number of people who debate or want to debate whether or not money is going to be, you know, this, this massive wealth transfer, the, the largest in human history, that, that it, this money is going to end up mostly in the hands of women. People want to debate this. And, and I always sort of say to them, you know, we're, we're earning it. We're inheriting it. There's other, you know, involuntary transfers of wealth, you know. If women are all drug dealers and we have it, who cares? The point of the matter is we're going to have this money and what the heck
0: are we doing with it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we see... Um, wealth advisors, young wealth advisors, um, robo advisors, coming to the fore that are fo- more focused on investing with values, and we think that that is really a source of competitive advantage for the wealth advisory community um, and and for uh, asset managers as well. And you know, one of the things that I speak about when I when I when I talk to to young folks and to women and to to, to all audiences is you know it's your money, whether it's a uh, 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 capital uh, that is in a a, a savings and checking account, or whether it's your 401k, or whether you, you know, family has a foundation, Um, these are assets that you can steward and you should steward. And if you're not getting the service that you want from uh, your, your financial services providers, you can find something that's consistent with your values elsewhere.
1: All right, so let's talk about your day, other day job, uh, Chief Investment Officer at Impact Assets. Um, tell us about Impact Assets
0: and what your, you have many roles and your, your various roles there. Sure. Uh, so as you mentioned earlier, I serve as Chief Investment Officer and Managing Director at Impact Assets. Uh, so impact Assets is a nonprofit financial services firm focused on impact investing. Um, We work to democratize access to impact investing, trying to expand opportunities for investors to put capital to work uh, consistently with their values. In particular, we provide investment products and thought leadership that enable philanthropists, other asset owners, and wealth advisors at all levels to make investments with positive social, environmental, and financial returns. Uh, We run a donor-advised fund fund focused on impact investing that's at about $280 million. We recently bought to market two impact securities, one focused on microfinance and the other focused on global sustainable agriculture designed to lower investment minimums, so kind of impact investing products for the rest of us. So we're really excited about um, this democratizing process. And um, if if folks want to learn more, they can check us out at www.impactassets.org.
1: Would definitely do that. How do you source deal
0: flow? We source deal flow. Uh, we look at individual companies, but we also look at a lot of funds um, and impact assets. And um, we source deals um, the way anybody would source deals. Um, we look to um, uh, tr- trusted. Uh, intermediaries. We look at trusted trusted parties. We look at co-investors. Um, my team and I do a lot of calls with with fund managers. Um, so I would say that we source um, and we actually diligence deals very similarly that you to to uh, our our traditional finance brethren. Um But, with the added aspect of impact, so is impact central to the business model of the company or fund? Does management have a demonstrated track record of impact metrics, measurement, and reporting? We need to see the track record of impact creation and reporting in the same way that we look at track record of of uh, financial returns so
1: i mean I I guess with some of this in terms of impact, you know'm I'm just thinking of. Someone who's been trying to get my attention on something, and and sometimes I want to say that when you're looking at impact or the situation I'm thinking about, this company keeps trying to tack on like, oh, and we're doing this nice thing in the environment, but they're sort of tacking on something good in the community as opposed to building, I want to say, impact and community into the, their their company from the get go.
0: Exactly. And so we start and we start seeing some impact washing, some greenwashing at times um, from public companies and private companies. So those of us that practice impact investing feel that the impact should be, as you indicated, an integral part of the business model. It shouldn't be kind of an ex-post affair. Like, you know, we do our business here and then we give some corporate philanthropy over here. Um, right. Or we, you know, treat our employees, um, uh, you know, n- not as well as we should, but we offer um, them a couple of volunteer days. Uh, uh, so trying to really look um, how value gets created by a company in a holistic way so that it's not this, you know, ex-post, um almost like a PR initiative. And um, for us, the most impactful companies really have impact baked into the DNA of the company, the product, the service, the constituencies served themselves.
1: I would say that's what I need. I don't know if anyone else needed to hear that. That's what I needed to hear because some of this stuff, like I said, when you see, as you said, sort of feels like a PR initiative or um, in, in no way, shape, or form related to the DNA of the company or the product, it just just doesn't feel right. Um, anyhow, uh, I could go off on that one for a while, but why don't we talk about this? So we've talked about how your your diligence and your deal flow is similar. What about exit strategies uh, for impact ventures? Are they same, similar? What does that look like?
0: The key with exiting impact ventures is that we want to maintain impact on change of control. We don't want to have something that I call um, impact dilution. And we talk all the time um, in you know, startup finance about uh, you know, ownership dilution, but um, we also look at impact dilution. Who are you taking money on from? From, from, from whom are you taking on money? Um, how are you exiting? And is there um, impact uh, dilu- dilution in the process, in the transaction? Impact ventures can exit um, through an IPO. For example, Etsy is a B corporation, which again is a, which is a certification. It's not a corporate form, um, and so we have been looking at Etsy to see over time does the B corporation status uh, any in any way affect uh, the 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 stock price over time. So that's something that we'll be monitoring. Um, Tom's Shoes, which, uh, you know, we can debate about whether or not it's an impact venture, uh, but they were partially purchased by Bain Capital. And so we'll look to see... Um, how the business model may or may not change uh, over time, and the impact may or may not change over time, as Tom's takes on different type of capital. Um, th- there also may be uh, straight up acquisitions, so mergers and acquisition (M and A), like Honest Tea was bought by Coke. And I think Seth Goldman has done a terrific job of sustaining uh, the impact um, despite the sale uh, to to or, or maybe in part in. in uh, in Not in spite of, but because of his exit, so on the face of it, you 'd think honesty exit to Coke, you would be worried about uh, impact dilution, but they 've been able to hold the line quite nicely um, around their impact and and use the the power and scale of Coke to actually expand their impact over time. So um, it's important to, to watch not just the moment of, of exit, but also how things uh, play out over time. And then there are other exit innovations that may be particularly well-suited to impact ventures, including revenue rights, demand dividends, um, an employee stock ownership plan, and, and others. But throughout, you want to make sure that the impact is really written into the uh, documents, the founding documents and the financing agreements of a company in order to sustain impact. Uh, throughout,
1: so I'm saying I always think so we don't have the Ben and Jerry's effect.
0: Ben and Jerry's is a, <laughs> such an interesting example. Um, so Ben and Jerry's um, was bought by Unilever, and uh, at the time that it was bought, uh, a lot of the, the the impacts were eviscerated. You know, the local jobs were lost, local factory was closed, some of the sustainability practices were were were. Uh, Diminished or completely uh, uh, obliterated, uh, but over time, uh, this uh, very interesting CEO of Unilever named Paul Pullman has come to to the fore, and it's been fascinating to see how Unilever, of all companies, has really reinvented itself around sustainability practices, and has almost reinvigorated uh, the 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 impact within Ben and Jerry's, and so. That is, it's almost like an impact turnaround from the inside <laughs> against all odds. So I, I, I love that example.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's always like you, you use Ben and Jerry's as that example of, you know, here was this company and they got, you know, purchased and here their great model got blown up. Yet here they were like a, I want to say like a positive cancer cell within a big company and now, cha- <laughs> now changing, the, changing the practices of the big company. I love it.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, what do you see as the future of impact investing?
0: You touched on it earlier, actually, um, uh, when, we, when we talked about externalities. So, to me, the future of impact investing is that, again, all investing is positive uh, impact investing. So, the externalities, maybe carbon first, will be priced so that what I call the phantom balance sheet, I, I think of externalities as like off-balance sheet financing on the backs of, of communities and employees and environment. So, when the phantom balance sheet comes on balance sheet, that is, in a way, game over because the the, the markets will price uh, or have true cost accounting, as you had indicated earlier. Um, but we're already seeing some evidence of this mainstreaming. So Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, Merrill Lynch have all started impact investing groups at the behest of their clients. So, again, power to the asset owner. Um, asset managers like BlackRock, the largest asset manager in the world, and Bain Capital are launching impact investing products, and we see asset owners um, kind of pressing their their wealth advisors and intermediaries, including Stanford, divesting from um, fossil fuel on the um, on, on on the the university endowment side. Pension funds like here in California, Calpers and Calsters have been among the most progressive in impact investing. We see foundations like the Ford Foundation. Darren Walker, the, the president of the Ford Foundation, issuing a missive at Q4 of last year saying uh, he no longer finds it defensible that the Ford Foundation's endowment is not investing in line, invested in lines with the values of the foundation. MacArthur Foundation, uh, Gates Foundation is getting in the mix. Families like the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative um, – Priscilla Chan and Mark Zuckerberg have created uh, this commitment to give away uh, nearly all of their assets, um, and they've created this LLC, Rockefeller Brothers Fund, the foundation of the of of, of Rockefeller uh, family. Uh, is divesting, div- divesting from fossil fuels, So the heirs of Standard Oil are, are divesting from the source <laughs> of of their, their assets. So the, the world is really changing and it's been oh, fascinating to see. Yeah, yeah. No, there's some really uh, enlightened uh, Rockefellers there uh, running the show and doing some very, very interesting things. So when we start seeing, you know, the Goldmans, the Black Rocks, uh, the, the Ford Foundations of the world, Rockefeller Brothers Fund uh, turning and facing the reality of the our future. Uh, getting back to those driving forces, we know that 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 we're at the beginning of some major change uh, for for impact investing and investing in general. Let's
1: get the trickle down effect to all the businesses. So let's talk about uh, impact entrepreneurs for a second. Um, if someone is an impact entrepreneur, what ad- what advice
0: do you have for them on approaching investors? Sure. Uh, again, and it, and it and it relates to the deal flow question earlier. Uh, I, my recommendation to impact entrepreneurs is uh, to you know, do research on the angel or venture capital firm uh, that they that they 're interested in, review the investment criteria, review the investment portfolio on the website you 'd be surprised at how uh, the, the kinds of deals that, that that folks present to us and prevent, pre- present to others um, that re- really just don 't fit. Um, So make sure that there's a strong fit. Do your research. If you can, secure an introduction by a trusted source so that your business and you are contextualized. And my other little tidbit that has has worked really well for me when I've been raising capital as an entrepreneur is consider asking for an informational interview of 15 minutes before you start raising capital. So what I would do is sit down with venture capitalists in my domain area and say, can, can I just come and see you for 10 minutes, 15 minutes? It's really hard to say no to that. And make it clear that you're not, you're not raising money at this time. And then you get some really, aside from getting a, a, the interpersonal relationship, you get great feedback from them that can help you with your strategy. And then when it comes time, when you're right-sized for that venture capitalist in the future, they'll remember you. And it's just a way to kind of create a relationship that's worked very well for me in the past.
1: uh, Such, such great advice. Um, Are there any, I would say, resources that you think are particularly good or helpful for
0: impact entrepreneurs? Sure. So for your uh, audience members that want to Learn more about impact investing or and or learn more about impact investors in terms of raising capital. Um, definitely check out um, my firm's website, impactassets.org. We run something called the Impact Assets 50, which is a uh, publicly available database of leading impact investing firms. And it's searchable so you can get a feel for the landscape of impact investing fund managers – Another great uh, resource is called thegin.org, T-H-E-G-I-I-N.org. That's a website for the Global Impact Investing Network, and that's a, a great clearinghouse of, of research and case studies and other resources. And then for news on impact investing, I would check out www.impactalpha.com. There are also impact accelerators that you might want to check out. Uh, one is called Village Capital Another is called Unreasonable Institute, which is such a wonderful name. Um, and then there are fellowships for impact entrepreneurs from Echoing Green and Ashoka. So, just some ideas to on ramps to get your folks, uh, your listeners going.
1: That's great. Thank you so much. So, our part of the program, which uh, we call Pay It Forward, we're going to devote 60 seconds here to making our listeners smarter. Not that you haven't done that already, Uh, but this is some fast and furious questions and your fast and furious answers. So here we go with our parrot forward. What are your primary sources of information?
0: I heart the New York Times. (laughs) I've lived in California for a long time, and I've always been a paper subscriber um, and a digital subscriber. So New York Times, absolutely NPR, um, and I love the Planet Money podcast, as well as the Impact Investing resources I mentioned earlier. Awesome. What book are you reading? A book that I keep on my bedstand is Impact Investing, Transforming How We Make Money While Making a Difference by Jed Emerson and Anthony bug For those folks that want a primer on impact investing, the whole landscape, that is a book available by Amazon. It's an ebook too that I really recommend. Do you have any rituals or habits you swear by? I do. So I um, Love the Wonder Woman power pose that <laughs> power poses that HBS professor Amy Cuddy has has pioneered. So I do Wonder Woman power poses in a bathroom stall before large speaking engagements, and I encourage your uh, your listeners if you're you're pitching your company or you're speaking before a group, it really works. So try it in a in a in a, a bathroom stall uh, near you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you see someone doing the poses in a bathroom stall, it may just be Fran, okay? <laughs> exactly. um, who, are, who are three entrepreneurs or leaders that you follow or admire?
0: Sure. These are impact investing names, so three extraordinary women. One is named Maya Chirangle. Another is a colleague named Julia Z, S-Z-E. And lastly um, is a woman named Kathy Clark. Very cool. Thank you. What is the best advice you've ever received? Um, I guess the best advice, (laughs) I, I don't know that anyone's given it to me, but it's something that I've developed for myself over time, and that is don't wait around for life to happen to you. You need to make it happen for yourself.
1: Are there any particular myths that you would like to dispel for our listeners?
0: I hope I already dis- <laughs> dispelled it, but the myth that there's a trade-off between financial and impact returns, um, it just isn't true. And uh, uh, and, and I, I, I think that I, I addressed it earlier a bit.
1: <laughs> okay, the, I think we've blown up that myth. <gasps> what words of advice would you give to listeners about taking risks and closing the confidence gap?
0: Mm-hmm. So for the entrepreneurs out there, I suggest that you thoughtfully craft your Fast pitch, your remarks, your story, whatever it is, and then practice, practice, practice. I, I practice before I public speak quite a lot, and I feel like the more I practice, the more then when I speak, when I pitch, I can be in the moment and really engage with the audience. Uh, you've given us some
1: great names today in, in um, some investors, sorry, some entrepreneurs, but name one female entrepreneur that's below the radar screen that we should know about.
0: Yes, uh, Keely Stevenson is the CEO and co-founder of something called Wheel Life, W-E-A-L Life. It's a digital health company, um, and it uses mobile technology to make it easier for people to care for each other during times of health crisis, aging, or chronic illness. And I think with the demographic shifts that we're seeing and some of the social and environmental changes we're seeing, I see that there's a real need for technologies like this to really bring us together person to person. And finally, what does think broad mean to you? To me, think broad means to think expansively about the world, about yourself, to see the interconnections between and among people, countries, and sectors. Determine what interconnections are most meaningful for you and for the world, and then go out and make an impact. Amazing. Thank you so much, Fran. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Broad Mike. We
1: welcome your feedback. Find us on Facebook, where you will have show notes and additional references for a deeper dive into today's topic. Subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode. Please review our podcast on iTunes, which will help other listeners discover Broadmic and grow the Broadmic community. Broadmike is produced by Christy Mirabell with editing by John Marshall Media. Our executive producer is Sarah Weinheimer. Think broad.